Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. And welcome to this special episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer, and I'm your host. We are so glad that you've joined us, whether you're watching live or listening uh, or on replay. Uh, We're so glad that you're here with us and look forward to sharing this story of um, survival over adversity and trauma. Um, So through December, the month of December, we're collaborating with Uh, Nashville Neurosurgery Associates to highlight stories of survivors from life-altering neurosurgical disorders. My own story will be included as this is my five-year anniversary of surviving a life-threatening brain tumor. I've experienced firsthand how the holidays can be difficult for people um, suffering with illness. Uh, To someone fighting a severe medical battle, it feels like the whole world is passing by as people are so hyper-focused on crossing off to-do lists and completing obligations. Our goal this December is to bring visibility and to uh, help make some of these people and situations that they struggle with feel seen uh, for those that are still fighting these battles. Today, our guest is someone who not only fought through to the other side of her own battle, but helps others in her own work as a physician's assistant at Nashville Neuro. Doris Beckman, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, Patrick. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's get right down to it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about your, you know, your, uh, yourself. Where did you grow up? So I actually grew up in California in the San Francisco Bay Area, a little bit south of San Francisco in a town called Redwood City. Um, I was actually born in Salt Lake City, Utah, but moved to California when I was four. So really don't have a lot of memories of Utah and and then uh, lived in California until I went off to college. Wow. So um, I have to say, I'm, I'm a lover of the redwood trees. So oh, I'm guessing you lived yeah. in red, <laughs> a city called that. You got yeah. to see quite a few of them, right? Yeah. Oh, there's nothing quite like redwood trees. They're amazing. Yeah. Very and cool. talk about re- resilience. Wow. What a, what a great example of um, being resistant against trials there. Isn't that the truth? I yeah. actually just got to see them for the first time uh, twice this year. Oh, nice. Um, we went to San Francisco and saw uh, the trees at Mirror Woods. Oh, and, Mm-hmm. And a number of them, you know, getting to see the how the fire, uh, you know, affected parts of them, uh, but they're still standing and, um, you know, continuing to go through. I, I don't even know what fire it was that affected those trees. It could have been one that was 15 years ago. I'm not sure, but they still right. show signs of, you know, the charring. And um, so, yeah, the, I love that metaphor that you just said, you know, showing the resiliency. It's it, it, a very real thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we can learn a lot from them. You know, the, they've got a really thick bark, which helps them be resistant to those fires. But in the heat, the tannins in the bark create almost like a heat shield to help to protect them 
Um, oh, wow. So I've actually used that analogy in teaching some youth about how trials can be used to strengthen us and help us find that that strength and that resilience against times that are difficult. That's so powerful. I didn't know that about those trees. Yeah. Um, uh, that is really neat. So speaking of resiliency um, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, get you know, back at the beginning of your story, uh, you know, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? In a way. Um, I've known for years and years that I wanted to do something in the medical field. I remember being five years old and a neighbor kid falling and skinning their knee. And I felt like I needed to be the first one by their side. And I always felt like I should be able to fix you. I should be here. I should be helping you. I am five and I know nothing, but I feel like I should. Um, and so I think it's just been in my soul from the beginning. Um, but as far as where in the medical field to go, that was a, a much longer story than I kind of anticipated throughout my years. Um, in, I want to say sixth grade, maybe we had to do uh, our school report and we were supposed to interview somebody that worked in the field that we might, thought we might want to go into later on in life. So I interviewed uh, a doctor that our family knew and from there on out, I thought, I, I definitely know I'm doing something in the medical field. Um, in high school, so I hope you don't mind a, a little bit of a story here. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, That's what we're all about. All right. So in high school, I played a lot of sports. And during a basketball, basketball game, I had an injury. And one of our assistant coaches told me about this local physical therapy clinic who would help athletes recover. And I said, well, I don't think my family's going to pay for physical therapy right now. And he said, well, for high school athletes, he actually treats them for free. And I thought, well, this is too good to be true. But sure enough, he did. And so he helped me get through my injury and get back on the court quicker. And I fell in love with what they did and um, wound up working there that summer. So right after high school graduation, I got hired to work there as an aide and spent the summer working, learning physical therapy, learning athletic training. And I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, who else hires a 16 year old? I was 16 when he hired me. And I thought, wow. who hires a 16 year old to do this? You know, surely this is the universe telling me this is what I need to do. And so then I went off to college and looked into the physical therapy, the pre-physical therapy program. And I just wasn't overly impressed. So then I went and looked at the athletic training program and um, they had an amazing program. I was at Brigham Young University and their program is fantastic. One of the best in the nation for athletic training. And I thought, well, this is it. This will get me where I want to be. And as I was nearing the end, um, there was this kind of internal conflict of do I want to go physical therapy route or do I want to go medical school route for so many years? Growing up, I thought medical school was where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I'd never even heard of a physician assistant at that point in time. And as I was doing my rotations as an athletic trainer, I met a physician assistant student. And he said, this is what you should be doing. You definitely need to go this route. But it just didn't click for me at that point in time. I went on to apply to, to physical therapy schools. And despite having really good grades, great letters of recommendation, um, really checking off all the boxes that you could check off, I didn't get accepted to physical therapy school. 
And really there was no good explanation as to why not. And I started thinking again about this student that I had met and started looking into going to PA school. And from that moment on, everything clicked. Everything mm. fell into place, everything felt right. And I thought, this is it. This is what I need to be doing. And I've never looked back. That's awesome. So, um, I mean, how did you fall into, uh, you know, moving forward, you know, you're in quite the specialized, uh, arena, you know, you went from PA where you, you could do anything with that. Right. But, right. um, what brought you to working in neuro? So as an athletic trainer, um, making the transition to orthopedic surgery after graduating from PA school was a really easy transition. And I, you know, I was an athlete growing up and, and after doing athletic training and working with athletes for so long, um, I thought, you know, or orthopedic surgery, that's what I want to do. So um, I got a job in orthopedic surgery working in a small town called Paris, Tennessee. It's oh, about yeah. uh, two hours west of Nashville and um, did that for three years. And it was one of those, um, we call it our redwood tree. Uh, experiences where it definitely uh, was not an easy experience, but strengthened me in certain ways. And after three years there, moved to Nashville and worked in orthopedic surgery here in Nashville. And after four years, um, I had somebody come to me and say, I think you would do great working with this neurosurgeon. I think that this is a field you would love. Would you be interested in looking into it? And so again, I interviewed with that physician and kind of fell in love with neurosurgery. And that's been 14 years ago now. Wow. You know, not a lot of us uh, get to say that we really, truly love uh, what we do and, you know, are, are, are doing, you know, <laughs> the long, in the long run, right. somewhere in the scope of what we set out for, um, you know, early on. Um, it's yeah. really awesome that you're, you're doing that and it's helping others. Absolutely. Um, I feel blessed every day to, to get to do that, to help people every day and mm -hmm. follow this passion that is inside of me from day one. Absolutely. So, you know, our theme for your episode, and I kind of coined this, you know, healing the healer, because we're talking about how, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, you do this work all day long, helping to heal other people. But uh, you started to have your own symptoms somewhere along the way. And um, tell us a little bit about that. So in somewhere around, I think it was 2010, I was involved in a car accident, um, something that many people can relate to. And at the time my husband was driving the car, I was in the passenger seat and we had a young child in the back who uh, was calling for my attention. So I had turned around like this to, to look back and talk to him. And just as I did that, my husband was having to stop the car for uh, a traffic jam in front of us. And the person behind us wasn't paying any attention and rear ended us going about 50 miles an hour. So oh. it, it whipped my head to the side. And that was kind of the beginnings of it. Um, I'm one of those people that says, look, my head didn't pop off. I'm probably going to be just fine. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. If it didn't kill you, you're fine. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of ignored it. And, you know, I was sore for a few weeks and thought, well, it'll, you know, it'll get better. And for the most part, it did fairly well. But then over the years, it would just be, you know, little aches and pains here and there. And then about probably about 2015, I started having, actually it was 2014. 
started having progressive neck pain. I would have shooting sensations going down my arms with pain, numbness, mm. tingling. Um, and that was kind of where it all started. And, um, you know, from there I thought, well, all right, you know, we all, we always tell patients there's things that contribute to your body degenerating and changing. Mm-hmm. Some of it's genetics. Um, some of it is the way we treat our bodies with things like smoking or the jobs that we do, repetitive lifting, pushing, pulling, and then certainly those bigger traumas take their tolls. So I knew that was kind of the beginning of it right there. Um, so was there, um, are, are you an active person? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> my job, uh, my job is definitely very physical, whether it was in mm-hmm. orthopedic surgery or in neurosurgery. I spend my days kind of pushing and pulling on people in the mm-hmm. operating room. We're lifting and positioning and um, pulling on retractors, things like that. Uh, I'm the mother of three children, so I um, yeah. lots of wrestling and and yeah. um, you know running and jumping and things like that. Uh, I don't as a full-time working mom, I don't have a lot of time to go to the gym or play mm-hmm. basketball or do the things I used to do. So uh, I guess in the traditional sense of being active, I don't go to the gym. I don't lift weights. I, I don't get out and quote unquote exercise, but in the nor- more non-traditional sense, my body doesn't rest much. So I'm always right. on the go and always being active. So just like the, the adage of, of, you know, just stay in a resting state, you know, and not don't do anything to trigger it isn't really wasn't really something that was going to work for you. You have the right. a job and a lifestyle that really demanded that you stay active. And uh, so what um, what was what was your progression like of uh, needing help, <laughs> then admitting you needed help? And then <laughs> yeah. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So that whole admitting that you need help is a tough one. Um, mm. uh, my dad was the type that would say mind over matter when it comes to mm. pain. Um, I had a, a teacher in, in undergrad that would say it's absolutely mind over matter. I don't mind and it doesn't matter. Mm. And, um, you know, in referring to pain. And so I would often just say, you know, look, it's, it's not something bad enough to paralyze me. I'm, I'm fine. I can suck it up. Uh, take some ibuprofen. And being an athletic trainer, having worked in a physical therapy clinic before PA school, and then working in orthopedics, working in neurosurgery, um, it, I, I knew what to do. And so it was one of those, you know, physician heal thyself type things where it was, it was a lot of doing my own thing. So I have access to a lot of, um, things that I might need. So I have some exercise bands at home and I know the right types of exercises to do. So I would do my own home exercises. I would, um, do some home traction. I have a home tens unit. And when that got to the point where it wasn't working, I thought, okay, what's the next step? And, and again, thankfully I have good access. And so I was able to get an MRI. And I think that was probably in 2015 or 16 that I got my first MRI and it didn't look awful, but it certainly explained why I was having the pain that I was having. So I had some epidural injections in my neck and, um, it worked beautifully. Um, you know, and prior to that in surgery, there were times where my hand would go numb or I would get these sharp shooting pains. And if you're retracting in somebody's spine or brain, you can't just 
let go and shake it off. You know, you can't do much. And, and so there were actually a few times I had to get somebody to scrub me out of the operating room so that I could go stretch mm. and try to, you know, get the pain to go away for a little while. And at that point, I thought, well, if it's disrupting my work life um, and potentially even the well-being of my patients, I need to do something. So that's when I got the first series of epidural injections, and it significantly reduced my pain. I was able to continue doing what I needed to do. Um, you know, my kids had even been suffering from it because, you know, if you can't get on the floor and roll around and wrestle with your kids... Yeah. It takes its toll, you know, and, and the family's frustrated and, and I was frustrated and it was taking its toll at work. So um, when the epidural injections helped, I was able to go back and do all the things I wanted to do. And, and that became my cycle for the next several years is, mm-hmm. um, you know, keep doing what I was doing, work, and then the pain would just mm-hmm. creep up. And so I would go get another one or two epidural injections. And I'm one of those patients that responded beautifully. Uh, I think the first time I had an epidural injection, it lasted for about two years. Wow. And, and after that, it would be about every year to a year and a half that I would go get one or two more injections. And I thought, well, you know, I can do this for quite a while. And then in 2019, Um, I think it was about October of 2019, my pain was really starting to flare up and I was starting to get to the point where I had migraines um, probably three or four times a week. And um, I started getting a really upset stomach and I couldn't take the ibuprofen anymore. And the home exercises traction TENS unit not only weren't helping anymore, but actually started to increase my pain. And so I went back for another epidural injection and it only helped for about two days and all my pain came back. And so I thought, well, I think this might be it. So I had an updated MRI done and at that point decided it was time to have surgery. So what was the, um, I forgot to ask, uh, was, uh, did you, had you had a burst, um, was there a disc that had ruptured or? So no, mine was just life taking its toll. I had a couple of discs that were just really starting to wear out. So a mm. lot more degenerated than the other ones and a pretty good sized bone spur that had developed that was pinching a nerve. And that was responsible for that shooting arm pain that I was having. And, and so, you know, for a while I could position my head or my arm in such a way that it would alleviate the pain, but it got to the point where that didn't work anymore. Hmm. Wow. So what, what was your feeling? Were you just at this, at this point, just like, well, this is the next step. I've got to do it. And you could do what you got to do or what yeah, was your so, mind? So I, you know, I talked it over with my husband. He's, he's obviously a, a partner in, in all of that happens. And, mm-hmm. and I said, look, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm pretty miserable. My epidural injections aren't working. My home exercises aren't working. And, and for anybody that suffers from headaches or migraines, it really takes its toll. Um, mm-hmm. Chronic pain and migraines are miserable. And you find yourself getting really short-tempered very quickly. And mm-hmm. um, when those you love the most are bearing the brunt of it, it's time to be done. And so, um, you know, I told my husband, I said, look, I'm, I know I'm taking this out on you and the kids, and I know that I am not the person that I need to be at this point in time. 
and it's affecting my ability to enjoy life. And, and then for me, secondarily, it was affecting my job as well. But mm -hmm. my, my personal and home life was by far more important. And so I talked it over with my husband and, and we had talked about it in years past. I said, you know, the day will come where I'm going to need the surgery. Mm. Uh, but I, I would tell anybody and I tell my patients all the time, live with it as long as you can. You should never have surgery as a primary choice if given a choice. Um, you know, for somebody like you, Patrick, that wasn't really an option. You know, you can't just right. sit and watch yeah. this for a year or two yeah. and see what it does. You have to, you know, you had to make that choice right away. Um, for me, it was one of those things where, yeah, I could live with it for quite a while. But when it got to the point where my quality of life was that dramatically impacted, um, you know, taking medication three, four times a week for migraines, coming home and wanting to go straight to bed, having no motivation to be active, telling my kids, I can't sit and play with you. I can't play a game on the floor with you. I mm -hmm. can't even read a book with you right now because my head hurts so bad that my vision's blurry. You know, those things take their toll. And so sure. when, it, when it finally got to that point, it wasn't a surprise for my husband for me to say, it's time for me to have surgery. And, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I work with this fantastic neurosurgeon and I've seen, I've seen the outcomes, you know, for, for nine years, I think it was, I had worked with him and, and we've had great outcomes with our patients. And so I knew, you know, the inside and out figuratively and literally of what to expect from a surgery, from the recovery, from the do's and the don'ts post-operatively. And I also knew that I had somebody that would work with me post-operatively to get me back to where I needed to be. So um, at that time, I, I talked to my husband and I said, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm throwing in the towel on being tough and it's time yeah. to get this done. And then I sat down with Dr. Olm and we looked at my images and he said, all right, let's pick a day. Let's do this. That's awesome. So what was, what was the experience like going forward? through that i mean because i know you see it all the time but like actually doing it yourself is, is a bit different than, <laughs> than yeah yeah so um i'm i'm not a warrior um by yeah. nature so for me i wasn't i wasn't stressed out i had all the confidence in the world about the procedure i picked mm -hmm. my own crew at the hospital I, you know i I have a lot of um, benefits that most people don't have. I picked my surgeon, I picked my OR staff, I picked my anesthetist. Um, so I walked into it with all the confidence in the world that everything was gonna go great. Um, from a more traditional patient standpoint, I knew that I had done everything shy of surgery at that mm -hmm. point. And I encouraged my patients to do the same thing as often as possible live with it as long as you can. And if a patient says, I don't know if I'm ready for surgery, then you are 100% not ready for surgery. Yeah. And at that point, I knew I was ready for surgery. There was no more doubt in my mind that the time was right. And so, you know, went through the whole process that anybody else would go through. I got, you know, the insurance authorization. I got pre-registered at the hospital, got all the same blood work that all of my patients get. Um, even the drug test, my, my, you know, I was gave my staff kudos. I said, good job for not withholding anything, you know, drug <laughs> testing, even me. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, the day of surgery, I walked into it with a lot of confidence, feeling very calm because I had a lot of 
faith in, in who was surrounding me that day. And, um, you know, when you, when you cross every other bridge up to that point, you can go forward saying, yeah, if something bad does happen, it was worth the risk because nothing else was working for me at that point. Mm. That's some really good, uh, advice right there. Um, so, uh, the surgery happened and you know, what was, what was recovery like for you coming out the other side and what was your outlook and how'd you handle it? Uh, you know, so again, I was, I was pretty blessed. Um, one of the risks of surgery is to get some swelling, um, you know, some bleeding in the tissues and, and, and I did get a little bit of that. And, um, you know, thankfully I, I was able to go in and have, have Dr. Alm take a look at it and got a, a scan to make sure it wasn't anything that was dangerous. It made it a little bit hard to swallow. It made my voice kind of raspy for about a week. Um, but the pain honestly was not horrible. Um, I took pain pills for maybe four days. And mm. after that, I just really relied on muscle relaxers. Um, that's a big key after spine surgery is to control the muscle spasms. Mm. And, uh, you know, for, for the first little while, we were lucky enough to have some friends deliver some dinners so that mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about um, the, the lack of cooking skills that are contained yep. in my home if I'm not the one <laughs> cooking. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, you know, I was able to just get up, walk around, you know, my legs weren't injured during the surgery or during yeah. the accident. So I was up and we would take walks through the neighborhood or walk around the house. And, you know, I just didn't do any heavy lifting or, you know, anything crazy. And after about a week, I felt good enough to drive. And after a week and a half, I went back to work. And um, again, you know, I, I work in an environment where I'm lucky enough that everybody kind of picks up the slack with the restrictions mm -hmm. that I have. So in the operating room, if we need to position the patient, normally I'm in there lifting and pushing and pulling and, you know, doing whatever it takes to get the pos position that we need for the surgery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after that, people just said, no, don't worry about it. We got this. We'll position. And then, you know, for, for good and bad, COVID hit shortly after mm -hmm. my surgery. I had my surgery on Valentine's Day of 2020. Wow. And uh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and then shortly after that, COVID really became a big thing. And so the hospitals were shut down. And so I was able to see patients on a limited basis. So I really had a, a perfect opportunity for recovery. Yeah. And again, because of my background, um, I was able to push myself enough to um, know my limits on range of motion and lifting. And I was able to kind of experiment a little bit with some therapy and some rehab that has actually kind of helped us advance what we do with our patients since that time Very and allowing cool. them, you know, because I've been through it and I know what to expect, I, I was able to say, well, let's try this and let's try that, it, you know, and it, with my physical therapy and, and athletic training background, um, it really helped me be able to guide patients in that initial post-operative period that I think has really actually benefited our patients over the last year and a half. That's really cool. You know, I'll relate, uh, interject a little, um, I don't know if anecdote is the right word. Um, in uh you know something in my story i'm a recovering addict and which is what got me into the field that i work in and behavioral health and everything um but i had never taken a pain a pain pill or anything like that long story short um you know i, I my story 
had me on pain medicine a lot longer than um, yours. And so when I had to come off of it, this was the first time I'd ever taken pain medicine and experienced what many people do, the natural physical withdrawal. Um, yeah. And uh, it's really, it was something so indescribable. Like for my work, I know how textbook we describe to clients, uh, you know, what it's going to feel like when they go through um, detox and withdrawal and what have you. But um, wow, the description doesn't do justice for the, you know, uh, it was a def definitely a different feeling. So for me, it's interesting how, you know, when you go through something that is, you know, the same thing that you're, you're doing in your daily life for work, um, on the other side, it gives you this perspective and, you know, where you're able to help your clients so much more or patients so much more than you did before. And for me, that was a new level of empathy and, and understanding. Um, and so, I don't know, I just thought that was yeah. a cool little comparison, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it really has been helpful. And, you know, that was actually the third surgery I've had. So, um, you know, I guess, it, again, it wasn't a new experience for me. So mm. I was able to go in with a certain level of comfort. And I am, uh, I come from a family that does have some addiction issues. Mm -hmm. And so because I know that that is, uh, it's a genetic propensity for some people, mm. it is an underlying fear for me to have mm. that. And so I, to a certain extent, would rather hurt than take pain medication. I don't like not being in control of my mind mm. and my body. And so I avoid things that will make me not think as clearly. And so for mm. me, I would cut my pain pills in half. Uh, I cut my muscle relaxers in half. Um, and, and I would only take it if I felt like I just, I have to. Mm. And, um, and so for me, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I'll just, I'll tough it out. I'll just yeah. deal with a certain amount of pain because I know that that, that reality is there and I see it a lot in my patients. And, um, you know, I just didn't want that to ever become an issue for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but having gone through that, like you say, it, it allows you to not only have sympathy, but actual empathy. Mm -hmm. And when patients talk to me and I say, Hey, you see this scar right here. I know what you're going through. I've, I've been there and I can tell you the beginning, middle and end of what to expect. And it yeah. really does seem to provide a lot of comfort to patients knowing that it's, it's more than just a textbook knowledge. It is personal experience to, to really help them get through what they're going through. Yeah. That's, that's really good. I wanted to ask you, um, what do you feel like, how much, how much do you feel like mindset? Um, you know, we did, we talked about that a little bit earlier and how, um, it pushed you, uh, to a certain extent, um, to how far you went, just, you know, ignoring the pain and what have you, right. but when it comes to actually dealing with and listening to your body and, um, dealing with the, whether or not there was a, like, you know, some emotional trauma there you know we talk about big t and little t trauma that affects our mm -hmm. life whether it's you know being upset that you can't interact with your family because your kids you know so you're separated from your kids you can't roll around on the floor with them you don't feel like you're able to fulfill your role completely as a mom that you were able to you know like it really mm -hmm. impacted your life yeah. um so what role would you say that 
mindset played for you and how important do you think that is? You know, I think it's really important. Um, you know, I said earlier, if a patient ever says, I don't know if I'm ready for surgery, you're not, you're mm -hmm. absolutely not. You've got to be ready. Um, but I, I think mindset is, is a very broad subject. Um, you know, we could take it on, on the one extreme that we live in a, a very entitled society, especially here in America, where, you know, we, we have access to so many things. You can get online and you can order something and it's delivered within a couple of days. Um, you know, things are disposable and things are easily replaceable and we want what we want and we, we want it right now and we're really used to getting it. And while that is a, you know, tremendous blessing for us in, in today's day and time, to a certain extent, I think it does us a disservice with our mindset, because mm -hmm. when it comes to our bodies, we want, I want to be cured and I want it done now. And I want, I want, I want, and I have a lot of patients who come to say uh, to me and say, you need to do this for me. <laughs> and no, no, I don't. I bet you love hearing that. As a... <laughs> I do, yeah. Um, I want to help people. If I didn't want yeah. to help people, I'd be in a different job. Yeah. You know, this is what I want to do. And, and I'm, I'm in this because I want to see people get better. Um, mm. So that mindset of, of having everything so easily accessible, I think is what leads us to even addiction problems. Mm -hmm. um, because for many people, it, whether it's a, a pain pill or a, a, you know, a, a drug or alcohol or whatever the case may be, it's helping you escape something that's difficult, mm -hmm. right? People yep. don't get drunk or get high or, or take those drugs because they're already happy and comfortable. It's mm -hmm. an escape. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, that mindset of realizing that we not only can, sometimes we just can't escape it, but sometimes you shouldn't escape it. Mm. And, and so listening to my body and having the mindset of understanding what's going on, what are my symptoms? Why do I have these symptoms? What is safe to cover up? What is safe to live with? Mm. And for me, um, it was a lot of pain um, off and on. And you can live with pain with as much as we don't want to live with pain. We can live with pain. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. It's frustrating. It's tiring, but we can. And people who live with chronic diseases will tell you, yeah, you can, you can live with chronic mm -hmm. pain and your body and your brain learn how to cope. Um, but the mindset of understanding when you've crossed a line of when too much is too much. You know, when patients come to me and say, well, I don't really want surgery. And I look at them and say, but you're having nerve damage. And mm. the longer you live with this, the worse that nerve damage is going to be. Yeah. And so there are times where we have to adjust our mindset for what the circumstance is. And, and so I think having realistic expectations up front, having realistic understanding is really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got these pictures right here in the office. And uh, I have another office where we have these electronic boards where I can show people and we'll often bring in a laptop that, that shows them their images. And, you know, um, knowledge is power, right? So mm -hmm. when we educate the patients and we tell them, this is what's going on with your body, and this is why we recommend either conservative treatment or some sort of intervention or some sort of surgery, 
we want you to understand why we recommend that um, because I think it really helps with the proper mindset of expectations and where you go from there. Absolutely. So you just sparked a couple questions for me. Um, you know, you mentioned about how for you, you know, you have this training, education and knowledge. So you knew what was going on. You, you know, you, you knew what was going on with your body and when you needed to test and, and all those things. Um, but for so many of us who don't have anything to do with your right. field, um, you know, I, I can't help but wonder that there are a lot of people that go on just like you that that are the old school pull up by your bootstraps mindset is everything mind over matter got to make it to the next day you got to do it and wait forever and ever before they get things checked out and so instead of understanding that the pain threshold is something that you've got to listen to with your body in conjunction with seeking professional help to find out what is too much, you know, um, <laughs> when do you, what do you say to people, you know, as far as, you know, when something happens and they're like, I'm just getting old and you know, this, it is what it is. And I'll go, you know, if I stop being able to move around, then I'll go to the doctor. When do you tell people, you know, it's good to get things checked out. Yeah. Um, that can be a tough balance. Honestly, yeah. um, when I worked in orthopedic surgery, we had this lady who was, I think, about 86 years old, and she had fallen and broken her hip. And it had to have surgery. It was either that or she laid in bed and died. You know, it was, mm -hmm. surgery was not an option. But, um, you know, we said, well, we need to make sure that medically you're going to be okay. And we kind of tune you up, you know, you tune up your car before a road trip. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we, uh, we asked her, well, what medications do you take? And she said, well, I don't take any medications. Right. You know, do you have high blood pressure? Do you have diabetes? No, 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 no. I never go to the doctor. This lady hadn't been to the doctor in over 20 years. And wow. she said, don't you start putting me on medications and kill me. I don't need that. And, um, you know, she didn't trust the medical field and, mm -hmm. um, and she didn't want us to start putting her on medications that had all sorts of side effects. And I get it. I get yeah. it. Turns out she was actually a very healthy 86 year old and didn't require any specific medications. You know, mm -hmm. she was one of those that was really lucky. Um, but I understand that sometimes what we recommend, there are side effects and mm -hmm. there's risks and benefits of, of everything, whether it's a medication or even just you know, getting stuck with a needle, everything that we do carries some sort of a risk or a potential side effect. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to balance a certain amount of whether it's caution or distrust of the medical field um, or just fear, uh, hard to balance that with sometimes going out. And, and then sometimes it's the opposite extreme of people running to us with, you know, every time they feel the tiniest little twinge. Right, and, right. and so it's, it's, there's not necessarily one piece of advice that works mm. for everybody because we come in with these different mindsets. Um, mm. But if, if somebody said, you know, give me a, a blanket piece of advice, I would say, you know, see a PCP on a regular basis, mm. okay, your family doctor, right? Um, and if, if something starts to hurt, it's okay to give it a couple of days, a couple of weeks. And if things don't get better, then yeah, go to your family doctor, get it checked out and let them start the workup. Mm -hmm. But when you have something that creates damage, 
you know, whether it's a car accident or, you know, you have a sudden seizure or your, your leg quits functioning, your arm is getting weak. Those are concerns. You know, mm -hmm. when your body suddenly quits functioning in a yeah. way that it's supposed to function, those are, that's your body's way of, of kind of raising the flag and, and crying for help. And so when, when function becomes a problem, because your body simply won't do what you want it to do, or it's doing things it's not supposed to do. Yeah, you need to get that checked out. And, and, you know, there's plenty of people that have a distrust of the medical field. I can't tell you how many people think that we're in this simply for the money. And, um, you know, to that, I always say, man, if you could, if you could have my sleepless nights and um, the, you know, the talking back and the frustration and the lack of compliance from people, you would realize, there's no amount of money that makes that worth it. It is what drives us. And, you know, we do this because I think most people in the medical field would tell you if we didn't do this, we internally combust, you know, it's what our souls are driven to do. And so you have to find that balance of, of trusting people who have spent a lot of time going to school and studying and researching to give you advice that's going to help you. Hmm. Such good words of advice. Absolutely. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to, to share um, before we close out? This has been really enlightening for me uh, and I'm sure for all of our people tuning into this episode. Uh, but yeah, is there any, any last word that you'd like to leave for everyone? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, find what makes you comfortable on the inside. Um, you know, again, I, I work with a great doctor. And so I was very, very comfortable going to him and saying, hey, I want you to do my surgery. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I try with my patients every time to make sure they're comfortable with the decisions we make. And as a physician assistant, I feel like um, part of my responsibility and, and desire with patients is to educate them. Now, I can't take you through PA school or medical school and physiology classes and teach you anatomy inside and out, but I can give you enough information to help you understand why I recommend what I recommend. And if you go to a, a PA, a nurse practitioner, a doctor, um, or even a counselor for, for drug rehab, right? If that person does not help you feel like you know your plan and you know what you're doing and they refuse to explain things to you, find somebody else. Mm. Be where you're comfortable. And, and, and I think in the long run, you'll have a much better outcome. You'll have the right mindset and you'll be happier with your whole experience. So great. I couldn't agree. I could, couldn't agree more based off of my personal experience with <laughs> the receiving medical care. Um, yeah. Doris, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Nashville Neurosurgery uh, Associates is such a wonderful place. I know I owe my life to you all and I'm so grateful. And um, so glad to be collaborating with you all through the month of December. And um, thanks again for sharing your story. Uh, it was it was really nice to hear. So Excellent. Well, thank you for having me on. It's it's great to be able to share my story and I'm always happy to answer questions that people have. And um, yeah, I hope this is something that, that can bring some information, knowledge, comfort, or guidance to those who are listening. Wonderful.
Thanks again. And thanks to everybody uh, watching and listening. And with that, we are out. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's rooted alumni community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 